our sermon, in our sermon series called See God. And we're at John chapter 14, verses 6 to 26. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. It is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the fa my father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, awesome to see all of you and to be gathered together under Jesus, listening to what he says. Now, we as a church do a thing called expository preaching. I'm pretty sure you knew that. And so we work through a gospel. 
And today we come to a complicated passage. There are parts of the Bible that are easy, and there are other parts of the Bible that are hard. Uh, even the Bible itself says that. And uh, this is a complicated passage. It's deep. Jesus is being very kind. He's revealing himself to us. And we ought not to have expected that the God who created everything would be simple all the time. And so I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask God if he'll really help us uh, to listen. I don't mind if every now and then you need to slap yourself. Don't slap anyone else, but slap yourself. You know, stay with us. Uh, let's worship God, not just with our hearts, but with our minds. And so let's ask him to help us to do that. Father, we want to bow our brains before you. We want to think. We want to love you with our minds. What you say to us in this passage, Lord Jesus, is good food for the mind. And it'll require us to concentrate, not be lazy, and to think. Please will you be so gracious as to explain yourself to us through your words for our good, and may we leave here with, as it says in verse 27, with peace, peace that comes from knowing you. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what do you do if you wake up one morning, there you are, you wake up in the morning, and you go to your garage, uh, to your little car, and lying on the floor, underneath the car, is a shiny little silver ball, a little shiny metal ball is lying on the floor under your car. What do you do? And you think, what's that? And you look around, there's no children playing marbles anywhere. What is this shiny little metal silver thing doing on the floor under my car? And so you look under your car and what do you see? Incomprehensible. It's just a, it's bolts and wires and metal and pipes and uh, pure mystery. Everyone knows that's magic. Uh, you, you don't, only elite wizards can deal with that kind of magic. Uh, so what do you do? There's this silver little ball. What do you do? Well, you just ignore it. That's what you do. Of course you do. Uh, the car looks like fine. It's still got windows and doors. So the engine must be fine, surely. And so you start it and and you drive off, and you leave your little shiny silver ball behind. Now one day, I was about 20 years old, I was a student, and I'm driving down the freeway in Durban, this is in South Africa, it's late at night, and as I'm driving, I'm driving an old Beetle car. Do you remember those old, really the old shaped Beetles? Uh, you're missing out if you don't know what that is, but there you go, and I'm driving this thing down the freeway, and suddenly, it's late at night, and suddenly this, this incredible noise. <laughs> And my whole car goes, and, and, and I look up in the rearview mirror, and behind me are sparks. And, you know, it's like someone shooting at me with a machine gun, which in South Africa is, is a possibility. Uh, so anyway, I'm absolutely fan. I come to a grinding halt, and I'm, what the, what the, and I'm shivering. I get out, I look at my car, and a wheel has gone. There's a wheel missing. It's just gone. It's not there. I knew when I started out there were four. Now there's only three. You know? uh, so I stand there, uh, uh, stuck in the middle of the freeway late at night. Now I'm older, and I look back, and I know what happened. 
I must have lost a ball bearing off one of the wheels. Uh, for those of you who don't know, maybe someone here knows less than I do about cars, which is unlikely, but if you are here, welcome. Um, what I'm talking about is in your car, you've got this complicated thing called a wheel bearing. It's this intricate spinning silvery device. It's highly intricate. And what happens is sometimes the little balls in there can fall out. And I now know when that happens, the wheels can come off. The whole thing can seize. It all goes wrong. Now, the purpose of that illustration, and I'm going to draw a lot from it, and I actually don't know if that illustration can be helpful or not. I'm taking a risk here, but I don't know what else to think of. The purpose of that illustration is to show you that some things are highly intricate. And when parts fall out, the whole can come to a halt. In fact, what we're going to see, and the reason I start like that, is what Jesus is going to do for us this morning, is he's going to show us, and it's, it's incredibly deep, the intricate workings of God himself. Jesus is going to show us just how intricate it is. It's a little bit complicated, I, I admit that, but it's dazzlingly beautiful, but there's more. Because as Jesus shows us how God is, we're going to learn about ourselves. We're going to see where we fit. And here's the point, and this is what we're going to see. We were made to be, hear this, we were designed we were made to be caught up in the inner workings of God. And I know that's a lot, but stay with me here. What you're going to see is that we were made to be part of this intricate fellowship that is God. This complex inner working of God, like a ball bearing. You know, if you fall out... If you're out of sync with God, what you are is like a little ball bearing, just rolling around aimlessly. You're this little shiny silver thing, you're out of place. You're meaningless by yourself. What are you? What are you doing on my floor? You have no place. But with God, what you start learning is that you were designed to be with him in this fellowship and it's not that. You're going to see more. We're not you're not designed for your wife. You're not designed for your husband. You're not designed for Perth. That's why you don't fit in perfectly. You were designed for God. And until you find your place in Him, well, the wheels are going to come off. Sooner or later, a wheel is going to come off. And you're going to come to a grinding halt. Let me try not to talk in riddles. At the heart of of the universe is an intricate God, an incredibly intricate God. That God is one. He is one. He is a perfect single being. There are no parts in God. That's why my illustration was not trying to illustrate who God is. I wasn't trying to do that. Because in God there are no parts. He is a perfect simplicity of one. But that God, who is one being, is an intricate fellowship of three persons. 
And the ancients, those Christians who've gone before us, came up with a word, which I don't mind sharing with you. The word is perichoresis. It means to spin around, to dance around. It's this idea of three persons spinning around each other and yet being one being, but in perfect, intricate relationship. No parts, one being, three persons. And you and me, we were designed to be part of that. That's why God made us. We were designed to join in, to be caught up, to be swept up in this intricate busyness of the work and fellowship of the Father. But, like my ball bearing, we've fallen out. No, no, we've been kicked out. We've been expelled because of our selfish sin. And what Jesus is going to show is that God has come to seek and save the lost and to bring them back into the fellowship of the triune God and more, to participate in the work of the triune God. And all of that is what we're going to see in our passage today. It's so dense. You think, Dwayne, why is it so long? Because I'm not going to deal with everything. I'm going to try and keep us going. I want to draw three main things. Here they are for you. So you'll know exactly where we're going. Number one, Jesus' work words, and I'll explain that, show the triunity of God. Two, disciples participate in the word works of the triune God. And disciples participate in the fellowship of the triune God. Stay with me here because it is, it's intricate, but it's beautiful. And, and how's this for a big claim? You'll find your place in the universe. That's a big claim. Okay, watch. Number one, Jesus' work words show the triunity of God. Now, this is a central theme that runs through John's gospel. We've been looking at this for years, three years now. Here is the theme. Jesus Christ reveals God. So look at this passage from John chapter 1. I've got it there in front of you. No one has ever seen God. So that means none of us know anything about God. We don't because I've never seen him. But the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. It takes God to reveal God. If anything else reveals God, it will be less than God. It takes fully God to reveal fully God. So there's a complexity in God. Because the only God, who is also at the Father's side, has made him known. That's Jesus. Now, look what Jesus says in our passage in verse 6. And this is where we ended last week. Jesus said to him, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's why. Why can't you go to the Father through Jesus? Because Jesus is the one who reveals the Father and more. He's from the Father and more. He is God from the Father. In other words, he reveals God. And therefore, verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my fault. Guys, you can go forward. Thanks. If you had known me, you would know my Father also. So to know Jesus is to know the Father. 
more. To see Jesus is to see the Father. So look what he says in verse 7. Verse 7, uh, if you had known me, you would know my Father. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Seeing Jesus is seeing the Father. Someone once said to me, uh, Dwayne, why do we always talk about Jesus in our church? Shouldn't we talk about the Father? Because, you know, well, here's why, because of verse 7. To see Jesus is to see the Father. To know Jesus is to know the Father. Our series is called See God. And if you've been coming to our series, you know all we've done is talk about Jesus. Because that's how you see God. There's nothing wrong with wanting to see God, by the way. Look at verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. Show us the Father and it is enough for us. This is the heart cry. I don't know about you, but if I had to have Jesus in front of me, I'd say to him, show me the Father. That's the cry of the human heart. Show me the Father. You know, I think what Philip's really saying is, it's getting late. <laughs> uh, you've been going on for a while now, no offense. I'm tired. All this talk, this little, it's a little bit confusing, actually. It's a little bit philosophical. Can't you just cut it down? Show me the Father. I love those words. Look what he says. Show us the Father and it is enough for us. Now in John's gospel, if you've been, you know John. In John's gospel, people speak better than they know. John's very clever. Philip's just saying, show the Father will be enough. But look at that again. It will be enough. The truth is, if you see the Father, I don't know who you are this morning. If you see the Father, I guarantee you, you won't want your money back. It will be enough. The human heart is designed for God. If you saw the Father, it will be enough. You won't want to see anything else again. I'm thinking in heaven. Will I surf? Will I kite? No, silly Duane. You will stare at the Father. It will be enough. You won't want to do anything. Heaven is about staring at God. I always quote one of my favorite old hymns. Father of Jesus. Love's reward. What rapture it will be. Prostrate before thy throne to lie. And gaze. And gaze on thee. Because that's what heaven is. I give you heaven. The Father. It'll be enough. You won't want anything else. So what does Jesus say? It's very surprising. Show us the Father. Look what Jesus says in verse 9. Jesus said to him, Duh, it doesn't say that. And it doesn't say that in the Greek either. So I made it up. Here's what he says. Philip, have I been with you so long? And you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? If you want to see God, what must you do? Look at a walking, talking, doing Jesus. When you see a walking, talking, doing Jesus, you've seen the Father. But how? How does Jesus reveal the Father? So uh, let's just be honest. Is the Father Middle Eastern? 
Is the father Semitic? Is he about yay high? I don't know. Has the fa- is the father yay high with a beard and two legs? Is, is that what you mean? No. And there's my little word for you. It's the work words of the son. Listen, it's a new phrase. I'm, I don't know if it'll catch on, but I'm, I'm launching it today. Here's the word, work words. Let me explain. You know, the thing about Dwayne, you have to separate his words from his works because Dwayne is a sinner. He is inconsistent. And he gets it wrong, even if he's not bad-hearted, which he is. But he also just makes mistakes. Your words and your deeds are never perfectly aligned. Not so with God. His word and his actions are identical. Identical. They do the same thing. In fact, let's be funny. His word works. Get it? God does everything through his word. How did he make the world? He spoke it into being. His word does his work. And so his word finally and especially becomes a man. It's a person, Jesus. And so when you watch Jesus talking, and when you watch Jesus working, you're seeing God, the work words of God. And I'm not making it up, because look at verse 10. Do you not believe that I'm in the Father, and the Father is in me? Now watch this. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. It, it could be a spelling mistake, but it's, I don't think so. Jesus is saying my words are the Father's works because they are work words. They always go together. All Jesus says, all Jesus does is a perfect disclosure of the Father. That's what we're trying to say. It's a, so what does Jesus do? Well, he starts off as a carpenter. That's what the father is. The father is a creator. So the son makes things. He feeds people. He multiplies bread. That's what the father does. He gives us food and every good thing from heaven above. Uh, the son heals people. That's what the father does. He heals us. Uh, the son has mastery over creation. I love to show people Mark 4 and 5 where Jesus recapitulates the whole of Genesis chapter 1 and reverses it. And he has, anyway, he shows himself to be the creator. Jesus teaches. That's what the father does. Uh, Jesus corrects. That's what the father does. Jesus rebukes. That's what the father does. Jesus, but above all else, Jesus dies on a cross. And there you have the fullest revelation of the Father. It's on the cross as Jesus Christ dies. You see, what is God like? Ah, here's the God who self-substitutes himself for his people. That's what it is the perfect revelation of God that Jesus Christ would die on a cross bearing the penalty we deserve that is the fullest revelation of God so 
If you have a screenshot on your phone, what's on the front of your phone? So if you want to be reminded of someone you love, so you look at a husband and he's got a picture of his wife on the front of his phone, so that whenever he looks at his phone, there's his wife. It's a picture. I, my, my wife's got a dog on the front of, of her, her phone. But anyway, um, so as a Christian, what you want is you want a picture of your God on the front of your phone. So what should you put there? The cross. When you see the cross, you are seeing a picture of God. That's the picture of your father. But it's not just the father that the son reveals. He also reveals to us something we could never have known. The Holy Spirit. Have a look with me at verse 25. Look what Jesus says. Now look again. Keep in mind these, this idea of the work words. Look again. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance, look what, what, what? All that I have said to you. So Jesus doesn't just reveal the Father, he reveals the Spirit. But here's what he does. He says the Spirit will say what I say. And the Father will send him in my name. It is Jesus who reveals, as you see on the screen in front of you, the triunity of God. And notice they say the same things. One of the errors of the charismatic movement, one of its big mistakes, is to divorce the Son from the Spirit. As if the Spirit says some things and the Son says other things. Not true. The Son and the Spirit, look what Jesus says, say the same thing. Whatever the Spirit says, the Son says. Whatever the Son says, the Spirit says. You can never separate the triunity of God. Jesus says nothing outside of the Spirit. And the Spirit says nothing outside of the Son. They say the same thing. And so as Jesus says in verse 26, the role of the Spirit is to teach you what? To teach you what the Son says. To bring to remembrance everything I've told you. In other words, we are a Spirit-filled church because we teach the words of Jesus. That's the sign of a Spirit-filled church. But let's put it all together. Here's the point. Jesus' work words show the inner workings of God. The triunity of God. And, and by the way, I prefer that word triunity. We Christians often speak about the trinity. That comes from the Latin trinitas. It's not a bad word. But this is a better word. Because triunity tells us what you're saying. It's three but it is one, a unity of three persons, the triunity of God. Now at this point you've got every right to say, I think it's easier looking under the engine of my car, quite honestly. I mean, that, how does this affect me? Where does this touch me? That's our second point, and we'll go a little bit quicker here. Number two. Now here's the amazing thing. Disciples participate in the work words 
of the triune God. It's astonishing. I don't know why God does this. Why don't you just, look, I'll do it myself. Stay out of this. He never says that. Astonishingly, we are invited to participate in the work words of the triunes. And this is where my illustration may or may not be helpful. It's still a gamble. Here's the thing. That little shiny ball bearing, that intricate little thing, is meant to be part of something spinning, something that does an incredible work, part of one activity. And Jesus is saying, you guys and me are like ball bearings that have fallen out. You need to get back in. Look at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. How gracious is God. You know, he's got this covered. He doesn't need you. That's a kind statement. And, I'll go one better, says Jesus. Greater works than these will he do. Because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Aren't these incredible words? Here's another, I'm sorry, I'm just telling the truth, I hope graciously and kindly. Here is another awful mistake of the charismatic movement, is to take these words out of context. It's a horrible mistake. Um, it, to do that is to misunderstand completely the flow of Jesus' logic and what he's talking about. I mean, do you really believe is Jesus saying that whatever works I do, like any activity, you're going to do better? I turned six stone jars into wine. Christians are going to turn their swimming pools into Cabernet Sauvignon. You're going to do better works than these. Is that, is that true? I walked on the Sea of Galilee. Christians are going to go to Rotto walking. We're going to walk over the sea to Rotnest. Is that what Jesus is saying? Christians haven't done that for 2,000 years. It's silly to think like that. I know a potato farmer who thinks he raised the dead. He's making a mistake. He's wrong. He hasn't done that. The answer is to understand what Jesus means by word works. Look what he says. The works that I do. So we need to stop and say, what do you mean, Jesus? What are the works that you do? And he tells us. He's not referring to his signs. In John's gospel, his miracles are called signs. The turning of water into wine, the walking, those are signs. Jesus is not talking about those things. He's talking about his work. What's his work? Well, he tells us. I've got one passage for you from John. Have a look at this. Jesus answered them. My father is working until now, and I'm working for whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Now watch this. And greater works than these will he show him. So that you may marvel, what's that, Jesus? Because you, need, you want to know. Do you know why you want to know? Because we get to do it as well. So what is that? Well, he tells us. Look at the next passage. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. What is the work of the Son? To give life to the dead. 
to raise the dead through the words of the Son. As Jesus preaches that gospel, dead people come back to life. As Jesus' words reach our hearts, we come alive and we live forever, forever. It's a life that goes on forever. It's the greatest imaginable work. Everything else is palliative care. If you feed someone, if you turn their water into wine, or if you help them walk across their swimming pool, they're still going to die. It's just palliative care. But this work will take them beyond the grave. They will live forever with the Father in paradise. This is the greatest work. And Jesus invites us to participate in that work. And that's why it's greater. Look what he says there in verse 12. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. And greater works. Jesus, why is it greater? Here's why. Because he's going to the Father. And when he goes to the Father, what will Jesus do? Go into retirement. No. As he sits on that throne, he pours out the Spirit. And so watch what happens. Peter, who's not the greatest preacher, because that was Jesus. Peter gets up on Pentecost. And you guys are never going to believe this. Something happens to Peter that never happened to Jesus. Jesus is in John 13, 14. He's got 12. Jesus' church has been reduced to 12. And he's the greatest preacher that ever lived. Along comes Peter, who denied him and got everything wrong. Gets up at Pentecost, preaches, and how many people join the church? 3,000. 3,000 people are raised from the dead. 3,000 people are now with Jesus in heaven and a lot more since then. That's the greater works. Our church is bigger than Jesus' congregation because he promised it to us. He said, you'll do great in this. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. I will pour out my spirit and you will do even greater works. You will raise the dead. And in our church, and in my heart, and in your heart, you're a testimony to the preaching of the gospel, raising the dead. That's what Jesus means in verse 13. And that's what we pray for. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may glorify in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. What's he talking about? Jesus, will you raise the dead? That's what he's talking about. He's talking about praying. To pray in Jesus' name means to pray in line with or in accordance with his work, his desires, what he wants. And he wants people, the Father is not willing that any should perish. But that all, and that's what we pray for. In fact, this year, we've had 6.30 on a Thursday morning. We have a prayer meeting dedicated to ask Jesus this. We'll look at Perth. They're all dead. Please, Jesus, won't you raise the dead? And he's doing it because he said he would. And he's doing it. That's what it means to ask Jesus in his name. It is to align your will with his will. It's to ask him to do what he promised to do. Imagine going to your mobile mechanic 
and you book an appointment. Hi, is that uh, Kmart uh, mechanics? Yes, I'd just like to book my toe in. It's been giving me a lot of hassle. You, you don't take your toe to the mechanic because that's not his work. To pray according to Jesus' name is to ask him to do what he does, raise the dead. Now, I just have to quickly answer everybody's question. But can I ask Jesus for other things as well? Can I? Because everyone's thinking that. I'm thinking that. Uh, you can ask your father for anything. He's kind. He's generous. He's good. The Bible says in everything, let your prayers and supplications be made known to God. But it is a charismatic mistake to think that if you have enough faith, he will say yes. That's a mistake. That's a mistake. God has not promised yes to all your prayers. He has never promised anywhere that he will always say yes to your prayers. You don't give your children everything they ask for, do you? Mum, Dad, can I have my fourth liter of Coke? No. You love them too much to say yes. Your father loves you too much to say yes all the time. But... There is one thing he will always say yes to. It's guaranteed for us. What will God always give you? What, what, what's the guaranteed yes? Himself. If you ask God for God, 100% of the time, you will get God. The answer is yes. And that's the last thing Jesus teaches us. And that's number three. Disciples, just waiting for it to come up there. Oh, well, never mind, I'll read it. Oh, there it is. Disciples, there's a third thing. It's not just that we participate in the work words of the triune God. This is amazing. Disciples participate in the fellowship of the triune God. This is sweetness more than you can imagine. Look at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father. Do you think the Father would ever say no to the Son? Do you think it's possible? Only once. When he died on that cross and he said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. And God said, no. Other than that, it's always yes. So what does Jesus ask the Father on your behalf? Look what he says. And he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. He dwells with you and will be in you. This is staggering. He has a promise. If you ask the Father for the Spirit, you get him. Look at this promise. Jesus made this in another place in, 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 in Luke. Have a look at this passage in front of you. What father among you if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Jesus is making a joke. He's being funny. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, watch, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's wonderful. Do you want God? Answers yes. You can have him. That's what God's saying. You want me? You got me. I will always give myself to you. And look at how sweet it is in verse 17. 
Look what he says at the end of verse 17. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. It is the sweetest, closest, intimate fellowship. This is not, I'll give you the spirit, 72.6%. But if you go on the weekend to the hills, there's a course where you can dose it up to 83%. He's with you all the time. He's in you. And it's the closest fellowship. There is a condition at the end of verse 15. If you keep my words. If you love me and keep my commandments. In other words, a Christian is someone who loves God, keeps his word, and has the spirit living inside. Now, we want to really get practical here. I'm often asked this question. Dwayne, how can I experience more of God in my life? How can I experience more of God in my life? I'm going to show you because Jesus is going to show you. Because he wants you to participate in the fellowship of the triune God. Look what he says, verse 18. I love this. When I'm grumpy, I read this. I will not leave you as orphans. What kind of father do you think I am? Says God. Really? I'll never leave you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Really? How? Verse 19. Yet a little while the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day... You will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Don't tell me that's not complicated. It's intricate. It's like a, it's spinning around. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, here's the question. Is God visible or is he invisible? Look at verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it you'll manifest yourself to us and not to the world? I don't get it. Are you going to come or aren't you? Because if you come, everyone's going to see you. Or can't they see you? Or how come we can see you? It's very complicated. Jesus says it's all to do with one thing. The Bible. That's your answer. Look what Jesus says in verse 23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him we will come to him make our home with him whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word you hear is not mine but the father's who sent me Dwayne just make this simple okay I will when the word of God dwells in you richly you are caught up in the fellowship of the triune God. That's what it is. That's what Jesus is saying. The highest Christian experience on offer on planet earth is to sit with the word of God and be swept up into the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All through the word. As God's word dwells in you, God's spirit dwells in you. And so you enjoy fellowship with the Father and the Son. But I want to get practical. I want to get even more practical. How does this work? And we're nearly done. I'll tell you, because I'll tell you how it happens to me. 
So I wake up on Mondays very grumpy. And I wake up on, and this happened this week. I'm giving you an example. So I wake up this Monday miserable. I'm tired. I'm weary. God is a million and three light years away. Sunday was yesterday, so I'm already in the middle. It's only Monday, but I'm already forgotten, fellowship. I've forgotten everything I've heard and said. And, you know, it's crunch time. I've got to live my life. It's Monday. Kids got to go to school. It's horrible, really. God has left me as an orphan. No. And I'm going to show you. This is what I do. I'm going to show you how to have fellowship with a trying God. So this is what I did on Monday. I turned, let me show you, to, oh, I'll go to Psalm 103. I only read Psalms in the morning because my brain hasn't switched on yet. You know, I just want happy things. So I'll go to Psalm 103. Listen to this. I'll give you a real example. And I'm feeling really low. And I read these words. Can you believe this? The Lord is merciful and gracious. And I realize I've been beating myself up. But he's mercy. He's looking down on me. He's merciful. He's gracious. I read further. Slow to anger. I thought he's getting crosser and crosser because I'm getting grumpier and grumpier. And he's going out and get angry easily. He's, he's abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. And then I read this. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our means. There I am thinking, I failed you. Did you see what I preached yesterday? It was horrible. And, and he goes, no, I forgive you. It's okay. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those of you. I woke up this morning, I feel no love. But your love is, look out the window, it's as high as that. It's bearing down on me. As a, and listen to these words. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Listen to this. He knows our frame. He remembers it's Monday morning. No, sorry. He remembers that we are dust. What did I just do? I just had the sweetest fellowship with my father. I got corrected. He spoke to my heart. I see the son on the cross removing all my sins. I feel the spirit through the word of God. And the next thing, it's six o'clock and I can go make breakfast. You see, that's what Jesus is saying. Through the word of God, we are invited to participate in the fellowship of the triune God. We need to close. If you do that, what will it look like? And I have no idea why verse 27 wasn't printed. I, I thought I emailed it. But look at verse, you don't have verse 27. Let me close with this. Jesus, and Matt Malcolm is going to pick up on this next week. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. That's where we started. Two weeks ago, let not your hearts be troubled. The result of this, you're at peace. You're back where you should be in the universe. The little ball bearing has been put back. This intricate, spinning, beautifully complex thing. You've been invited back into it. No longer are you rolling around on the concrete floor. The wheels are not going to come off. It's peace. This is what Jesus teaches. See God 
in three. Now, there's a lot there, and I don't feel I've done it justice, but happy to take a question or two. Let's pray. I'll give you a few moments, and then we'll pray.